Wednesday, June 6, 2012, episode number four of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Welcome inside another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer. It's episode number four of the Football Nation Today podcast, which means we've been at this thing for one month. How do you like that? Our little one month anniversary, very special time in all of our lives here on Football Nation Today. As always, you can find the show on footballnation.com and also for download in the iTunes store. We are now, of course, um, posting download links to the show in the show article, uh, but you can also find the show in the iTunes store as well if you just want to search there yourself. Uh, we are making this program accessible to you, as we like to do with all things here at footballnation.com. Um, and if you have any requests, again, about improving the content of this show as we head into the summer months and really gear up for when we splash on the scene once training camps begin in late July and August, if you have any thoughts on how to improve the show, as always, send them my way. My email address is areamer at bu.edu. My Twitter handle is at alexreamer1. Tweet at me, email me, do what you need to do. We are here to service you. So what's coming up today on Football Nation Today, episode number four? Well, we have a special guest joining us for the first down segment, Jeff Sperber. Does terrific work here at Football Nation. He also has his own website, jeffsperber.com. He, of course, uh, compiles the divisional super charts here at Football Nation, a very um, unique way of breaking down divisions, and I think a terrific way. He covers everything from projected standings to hottest cheerleaders in the division to everything in between. It's quite terrific. Excited to talk about the AFC West with Jeff in our first down segment. Broncos have OTAs going, Peyton Manning wearing the Denver colors, getting people excited. And Jeff also posted his AFC West Super Chart this week. And uh, Jeff Sperber is also a Jets follower and a Jets fan. So we talked to him about the Mark Sanchez-Tim Tebow conversation uh, slash controversy, uh, picking up uh, a talking point from last week's show. And I asked Jeff what would constitute a successful year for the Jets, who, of course, missed the playoffs last year, though you would never – Know that, judging by the amount of media coverage they received. But yeah, the Jets weren't a playoff team last year, actually. Um, then in our second down segment, a couple of big off-field NFL stories. The NFL has won the uh, arbitration in, uh, in the bounty case. The NFLPA has lost their, uh, their appeal to the NFL. We'll talk about that. Also, some replacement refs potentially coming aboard. That's a story. The third down segment is our big up slowdown. And then in the fourth down segment, it is the Reamer rant. This isn't NFL-specific. But it's football-specific. Jerry Sandusky trial. Um, Jurors are in the process of being selected. And uh, you will not believe where these jurors live. Frankly, you won't be able to believe where the trial is. Uh, These Sandusky's peers and neighbors are going to be the people uh, judging him here. Hmm. What happened to a fair court? It's Football Nation Today with Alex Reamer. Back after this. It is 
the Football Nation Today podcast as we get ready for our first down segment. And to help us out with that today, let's bring on Jeff Sperber, who is a contributor to FootballNation.com and also, of course, runs JeffSperber.com. Jeff, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing very well. How are you, Alex? Doing well. Again, we're talking with Jeff Sperber here in the Football Nation Today podcast with yours truly, Alex Reamer. Jeff joining us for our first down segment today. And Jeff, uh, you're previewing each division on FootballNation.com right now with a super chart which features everything from projected standings to quirky things, such as hottest cheerleaders, which is my favorite feature, by the way. Um, <laughs> what kind of work goes into making these kind of preview charts? They're pretty um, they're pretty extensive. Um, well, I guess I originally thought of the preview charts. I was just going to do it for the AFC East. And then they got such a, uh, a positive response that I decided to do one for each division. And I don't know. I guess sort of what sort of happened is, is originally – there were basic elements which I wanted to incorporate, like top five players or top fantasy players, things like that. And then I'd already sort of set aside myself this sort of outline for how big I wanted the chart to be. That was sort of, I wanted it to be a super chart, not just a chart of the top players. We have charts like that. And then I sort of filled it in and I had all these empty spaces. Hmm. So then I sort of went back and I had to sort of think of categories that some of them became almost staples of the super chart, the hottest cheerleaders, best mascot, those sorts of things. And then I'll sort of try to think of other little things that I could put in there for each division specifically if those things exist. Like um, I think this week maybe had something about Sebastian Janikowski or something like yep. that. So uh, you're a graduate of NYU's Tisch School, Jeff, so the super charts, you just unleashing your artsy side and incorporating that with football? <laughs> Um, a little bit. I actually just got into the uh, whole Photoshop type thing. I didn't do any of that in college, really. And then I just sort of started experimenting with it and sort of enjoyed doing it. I didn't see that much of it, sort of the graphics sort of side going on with Football Nation. And I'm sort of a visual person, too. I like seeing things visually. Sure. I like looking at the charts and the graphs and things of that nature. So just thought it would be something fun to make. All right, Jeff, your latest superchart covers the AFC West. Now, I've said that Peyton Manning was the biggest free agent, arguably, in the history of the league because never before could one singular player on the open market catapult a team to Super Bowl contention. Uh, but judging by your projected standings, you disagree because you have the Broncos at 8-8 eight and eight and missing the playoffs. So uh, how do you forecast a Peyton Manning's year in Denver? I forecast a very tough year for Peyton Manning, and the truth is, is that I think it has little to do with how I think Peyton Manning will do. I think he'll do just fine. I think it has a lot to do with the Broncos' schedule. It's it's brutal. And what it sort of is is when I go into making the charts, I sort of have an idea ahead of time. Is like, oh, I think the Broncos will be really good, or oh, I think the Chiefs will be really good. And then when I actually go through, I go through game by game and look at the schedules on a game-by-game game basis. And just going through the Broncos game-by-game game is just brutal. Hmm. I mean – I can open it. The first, before they're by, the Broncos play Steelers at Falcons, Texans, Raiders, at Patriots, at Chargers. Mm. And that's just their first six games before the bye. I mean, they could be one and five at that point. They could be. And it's just, it has nothing to do with Peyton Manning. I think he'll do fine. But I do think eight and eight is even a little bit generous considering the teams that they have to play. Very interesting. You're talking with Jeff Sperber of FootballNation.com here on the Football Nation Today podcast. You also had a nugget in your super chart, Jeff, that it's been 13 seasons 
since an AFC West team has won the Super Bowl, the longest drought in the NFL. And, um, well, it's been the weakest division in the AFC over the past couple years, of course. Will that change this season? Will the AFC West be more of a power division in the AFC, or will it still be um, one of the weaker ones? I think it'll still be one of the weaker ones. Um, I think a lot of times people don't realize how much schedule does go into how good or bad a team's record is. And teams in the AFC West, I believe they play the AFC North, which has it's probably the toughest division in the yeah. AFC right now. It's the Bengals, the Steelers, the Ravens. Those are three pretty good teams. And then they also play the AFC or the NFC South. And the Falcons are good. The Saints, even with this whole thing that's going on with the bounties and such, they're still going to be a good team. The Panthers look like they're improving, so that's a tough division too. They don't have an easy schedule for any of those teams. So. I don't know. I foresee another tough year for the AFC West. I don't think that drought's going to be ending this year. You're a New York guy. You're you're a New York guy, Jeff. So let's quickly talk about the Jets. Uh, last week on the podcast, one of our big topics was the Tim Tebow, Mark Sanchez, quote unquote, QB controversy and all of the um all the commotion that Tim Tebow's uh, presence has caused. Uh, my question to you, Jeff, is as a follower of the Jets, uh, well, Tim Tebow's on-field talents and on-field contributions to the team this season. Um, warrant the off-field controversy and commotion that his presence seems to intrinsically cause and create? Hmm, that's a really good question. because That's, that's what we do say, here, oh, Jeff. We ask the good questions. Yeah, well, because I thought you were going to say the question, like, oh, what about the QB battle? But we all know there's no QB battle, really. Right. It is Mark Sanchez. He's going to be the starting QB. But what it does become is a sort of a case of, is it worth it? Is it worth it, exactly. Um, I don't think so, honestly. I wrote an article a while back about how Mike Tannenbaum likes to get all these players with sort of a mercenary mentality. He sort of has this philosophy where he can pick and acquire players of high value um, with like skill-wise that might not be desired by other teams because of either off-the-field issues or sort of a Tim Tebow-type issue where because of the circus that he brings and Tannenbaum just sort of feels that, oh, okay, we'll get those players anyway, and because we have such a great head coach, and we'll be able to put it all together and have it work. And I think we saw what happened last year with Antonio Holmes is that that philosophy doesn't always work, that bringing in all these little pieces doesn't necessarily make a team. And he does that so frequently with LT and all these different guys that he will get together. And I think Tim Tebow is just sort of him doing that again. And it's Like I said, it's like adding to the, the circus of the New York Jets. So... Well, the Giants go out and they sort of do all the right moves. They build internally. They sort of do everything in-house. The Jets still go out, acquire the big-name players who are, I don't know, I just I do not think it's a good move overall. Last question about the Jets, Jeff. Let's talk about that head coach. Rex Ryan has set expectations enormously high over the past couple of seasons. Uh, what would constitute as a successful year for the Jets? I mean, they made the AFC Championship game two consecutive years, and they missed the playoffs last year. I have to assume that merely just returning to the postseason wouldn't qualify as a successful campaign for the Jets, correct? The expectations are a little higher than that? I, I agree with that. I um, think that yeah. have to say it was a successful year, they have to at least make the Super Bowl. That's what I think. Is that realistic to make the Super Bowl? I think it's realistic, but only because the AFC in general, when I look at it, is so weak. It right is. Now. The Patriots had a very easy road last year, Jeff. I mean, they didn't really play a real quarterback from, like, week eight to Eli Manning. I mean, they went a solid 
two, two and a half months without really playing a legitimate QB, actually. So, I mean, the AFC, it seems as if the road is there. I just wonder if the Jets can hold up because also, Jeff, their defense, I think, has declined over the past couple of seasons as well with age and everything else. Yeah, I think their defense has declined. I think they're sort of in, I think, at least to me, in the AFC, I think the Texans are the best team um, when healthy. And then I'd say right after that, it's probably like the Patriots, the Steelers, or a few teams like that. And then you sort of got like a group of teams like the Jets and the Bengals and who are just sort of just all right, who you don't really know how they're going to do. I think those like the Broncos, the Chargers, and sort of that middle group where in the NFC they wouldn't have any chance. But in the week AFC, you sort of never know how it's going to work out. The Jets' schedule isn't that tough down the road. It starts out hard, but it's not such a hard schedule. They get to play the AFC South and the NFC West. And the truth is, is what I was saying with schedules, if you're going to pick any two divisions to have to play, those are the two I'd pick. So that could help them there. Maybe they get a wild card. And you, you never know once you get into the playoffs. So. Jeff Sperber, a contributor to footballnation.com with his super chart breakdowns this time of year. And you can also, of course, read all of his stuff on jeffsperber.com. Jeff, thanks for stopping by the show. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. Go out to Jeff Sperber for joining us in the first down segment, looking to incorporate more guests into the show. Then uh, now we head on to our second down segment, bringing up the biggest off-field stories of the week in the National Football League. And we have two off-field stories to discuss this week. Number one, the NFL wins arbitration ruling in the bounty case. This is coming off of the NFL section on Yahoo Sports. A court an arbiter ruled Monday that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has the authority to discipline New Orleans Saints players for their role in a bounty system. The NFLPA challenged Goodell's power to impose penalties for what the league says is a three-year bounty program that targeted specific players. Here's my favorite part of the piece. Stephen Burbank, a University of Pennsylvania law professor, took only five days <laughs> to determine that Goodell has the power to punish the players under the collective bargaining agreement reached last August to end the lockout. Um, to, to do, Goodell suspended Saints linebacker Jonathan Vilma for the entire 2012 season and teammate Will Smith for four games. Goes on to list the other suspensions, Anthony Hargrove, Scott Vegeta. Uh, those players have appealed the suspensions, and the players' union later Monday said it will appeal Burbank's decision because it believes salary cap violations are involved in the payment. That would give Burbank the authority to, rules, to rule on penalizing any players involved. So the NFLPA still not taking no for an answer. They are appealing this decision as well. Took an arbiter only five days to decide that, yes, Roger Goodell does in fact have the power to punish NFL players for their role in Bountygate. And we've talked about this before on the show. I'm not going to repeat myself, but I will quickly reiterate this statement. The NFLPA here comes off as simply un uncooperative and frankly hypocritical. They're championing increased measures to... Uh, help and aid in player safety by day, and then they're, you know, appealing decisions by night handed out by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell on players who did impede and hurt, negatively affect the safety of others. It, it is hypocritical to say the very least. And what this thing is, we said this before as well, it's a money grab. Simple as that. Jonathan Vilma isn't going to receive a single game check for the 2012 season. And Jonathan Vilma, as we know, plays a prominent role in the NFLPA. That's why these suspensions um, were appealed in court. That's why this decision by the arbiter, Burbank, 
took only five days for him to uh, come to his decision. Not a very complicated case, obviously. Uh, that's why they're appealing this latest decision as well. It's a money grab. Simple as that. And that is the NFL Players Association's number one priority. It's not protecting the players. Their number one priority is just like the owner's number one priority, making the most money for themselves. And until both sides here, owners and the players, stop being solely concerned with making money for themselves, until then, player safety in the NFL They'll continue to take measures to try to improve it, but it's never going to get to where it needs to be and where it can be. And I come especially down hard, and I come down especially hard, excuse me as I mangle my words, on the NFLPA here rather than the owners because, of course, the owners are in it to make the most money for themselves. They're not players. The NFL players have to step up for themselves here. If you're not willing to step up for yourself in life, Nobody's going to be willing to step up for you. And that's what makes this whole story especially sad to me. The hypocrisy of the NFL Players Association here. They're not going to stand up for themselves in regards to player safety. Can't expect the owners, Roger Goodell, or anyone else involved in the game to do so. The other NFL off-field story to get to this week is the disagreements. The NFL is having with the Referees Association, who are holding out for money, among other things. Uh, the NFL is going to start hiring and training replacement referees. Uh, the last time the league did this was 2001, when a replacement official asked Jerry Rice, this report has surfaced over the past couple days, for his autograph and pregame warm-ups. Uh, mm, not exactly what you're looking for there. Um, the NFL, though, this time around searching for uh, retired collegiate officials and current qualified collegiate officials as well. Um, they are planning on starting to train the referees as soon as possible, ensuring there will be no disruption to the regularly scheduled NFL season. Referees Association spokesmen have come out and said that these officials are unqualified, blah, blah. Um, which I just see... No logic in that at all. Um, if the NFL can start training referees now, and not just dudes off the street, like, you know, referees, retired college referees, um, current college referees, these guys are referees, not just some dudes off the street. So if the NFL can start training these people now, get them accustomed with the NFL rules. I mean, it's the same game. Yeah, the rules are slightly different in college. If you're just down, you're down. Whereas in the NFL, you're down, you have to be touched. And I understand there are some, some, some differences, some semantical differences between the two games and how they operate. But it's still the same game. If you can take some qualified college officials up to the NFL level, train them now in early June. Season doesn't start until September. Preseason games don't start until the middle of August, so you still have two plus months minimum to three months to do this. I don't think the referees have a lot of holding power, frankly. I mean, oh no, I'll never see Ed Hockley in his, in, in his biceps on my television again. Ooh. So I think the uh, NFL Referees Association is overplaying their hand a little bit. Um, they are expendable. Quite expendable, actually. Moving on now to our third down segment. This is our Big Up Slow Down segment where we take a look at a couple stories from the past week and I give you my quick Big Up or Slow Down opinion on it. Very formal, um, 
format here. Uh, big up slowdown number one. Justin Blackman is already looking like a bust. Blackman, of course, has pled not guilty uh, on his latest DUI charge in court, even though he was pulled over early Sunday morning in Stillwater, Oklahoma, for driving 65 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. Blackman also blew a .24 um, rate, a, 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 also blew a, two point, a, a .24 um, on the breathalyzer at the police station, more than three times the legal limit for alcohol in your blood. And uh, that is the latest regarding wide receiver Justin Blackman, whom the Jaguars have yet to sign. So another reason why I say big up, Justin Blackman is looking to be a bust, isn't just this other, isn't just this DUI charge, isn't just the fact that he's, for some reason, pleading not guilty, which is just ridiculous. You're doing a 65 and a 35 mile an hour zone. You blow a .24 in the breathalyzer, winning three times the legal limit in Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, ridiculous. So the, the stupidity aside makes you shudder. But also, he's still unsigned, hasn't been to any camps, does not have a rapport with Blaine Gabbard. Um... Looks like a bust early on, and Blackman's a guy with a lot of talent, top five pick, number five overall, of course, selected by Jacksonville. At the time, I thought it was a good pick for them. They need more talent in the receiving core in that offense. It's as simple as that, uh, but Blackman isn't in camp, remains unsigned, and now has a lot of legal problems to deal with, too, with this DUI that he is, for some reason, pleading not guilty to. Whatever happened to just being a little humble, huh? Uh, big up or slow down, number two. Tim Tebow agreeing to attend Mark Sanchez's QB camp is the biggest story in regards to Jets West, which is what Mark Sanchez calls his quarterback camp. Four Jets QBs attended this last year. Tim Tebow has accepted the invitation sent out to all Jets offensive positional players. So is that the biggest story in regards to Jets West? I say no, slow down. The biggest story in regards to Jets West is the fact that San Antonio Holmes has not accepted his invitation. That's the biggest story here. Uh, San Antonio Holmes didn't attend last year, not attending this year thus far as of this recording, hasn't accepted his invitation. We know about um, all the problems San Antonio Holmes had with the Jets last season, had with Sanchez last season, uh, that infamous moment, one of the final games of the year. Maybe it was even the final game of the year where, the, you know, Santonio Holmes is, is tuning out Mark Sanchez in the huddle, blatantly walking away from him, had to be sat. Uh, remember all of that? And now Santonio Holmes is the only guy here not to accept an invitation to Mark Sanchez's quarterback camp when pretty much all his other offensive teammates are doing it. That's a pretty massive story, isn't it? Far, far bigger than Tim Tebow accepting. The biggest story here, and the more consequential story to the fortunes of the Jets' 2012 season, is the fact that San Antonio Holmes hasn't accepted the invitation, and thus would lead one to think that San Antonio Holmes and Mark Sanchez are still not on the same page. Big up or slow down, this season of Hard Knocks features the Miami Dolphins, and thus it will be dreadfully dull. I say slow down here. Of course it's not going to be Rex Ryan and the Jets a couple years ago. Nothing can be. And a litany of teams, I believe like 23 teams, turned down hard knocks before they went to the Dolphins. Um, so the Dolphins were a last resort, option Y or Z, one of the two. Um, but I still say slow down here. Look, there are some stories with the Dolphins. Number one, it's the Miami Dolphins with their 
Eccentric owner Stephen Ross, so I'm curious to see him up close. They have a new head coach there as well. That's a story. A QB battle in camp, Matt Moore, Ryan Tannehill. That's a story. And also, speaking of Ryan Tannehill, his fiance or his wife, smoke show. Oh, unreal. I think it's his wife now. I think they recently married. But, oh, Google Ryan Tannehill wife or Ryan Tannehill fiance. You'll see what I'm talking about. Just have the whole show on her. And that should be entertaining. Big up or slow down. Drew Rosenhaus is doing cartwheels. The Terrell Owens has fired him as his agent. I say big up here. <laughs> what does Drew Rosenhaus want to do with T.O. anymore? He's not a moneymaker. Probably the most annoying client ever. Who can't get a job anymore. So there's no commission coming in. Nothing. Uh, T.O. is a total train wreck at this point in his life. Unfortunately so. Looks like it will be another um, tragic end to uh, a player's post-NFL career. Uh, and Drew Rosenhaus, though, fired as Terrell Owens' agent. And Drew Rosenhaus is probably doing cartwheels. He, he doesn't need T.O. in his life right now. Closing out the show in our fourth down segment, this is the Reamer Rant. We look at an issue regarding the NFL or football in general that's really caught my eye this week. And this week, uh, the, Jerry, the news about the Jerry Sandusky trial is something I'm really fixated upon. Uh, this trial will be held in the small town known as Belafonte, Pennsylvania, uh, 10 rural miles from the Penn State campus. So Sandusky's literal neighbors, not just his peers, but his literal neighbors, will be the jurors here. And we'll decide the outcome of this trial. Does anybody else think there is something incredibly wrong with that? I mean, how can the Pennsylvania courts agree to this? How can they agree to hold this trial just 10 miles from the Penn State campus? Where Sandusky worked for decades. I mean, just look at the students' reaction to the story last fall. There's something in the water there. With that Penn State community. Where the folks around there, and you see this with a lot of teams, you know, if something happened uh, with the Red Sox organization here in Boston, uh, the best thing maybe wouldn't be to hold a trial in Boston because people are biased. And it's especially so there in Happy Valley, as they call it. Uh, the, 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 the Penn State mantra and, the, and, the, and everything Penn State is just ingrained in everybody's minds. Um, you saw last fall people were making excuse after excuse for Joe Paterno and, you know, and saying that, you know, and, and, and that Paterno acted appropriately even though he really um, didn't do anything of consequence. People just won't be able to see past their own personal biases there in regards to this trial. That much should be simple. So, I mean, I mean that should be simple. That should be evident. So, I mean, this is a... Awful, awful decision to hold this trial 10 miles from the Penn State campus. What happened to a fair court of law? I guess it doesn't apply here to Happy Valley. I don't mean to criticize or knock on everybody in Happy Valley. I'm sure there are some people who can see unbiasedly, and I'm sure uh, in the juror selection, the judge will try to sort that out. But it's a hell of a lot more difficult to sort through biases 10 miles from the Penn State campus than, let's say, on the other side of the state, which is where they were originally planning on holding the Sandusky trial. Uh, because to me, you, you, you just can't ask people too close to the situation 
to judge something unbiasedly. You just can't do that. I, I think th a terrible, terrible move to hold that trial 10 miles from the Penn State campus. But thank you again for tuning in to another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer. Again, thanks go out to Jeff Sperber for coming on the show. Read his uh, Super Chart AFC West preview if you haven't already. Really terrific work. Great stuff by Jeff. Um, we'll be back next Wednesday to talk more football with you. As always, send me an email, areamer at bu.edu. Hit me up on Twitter, at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle. So long, everyone. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your June week. Hopefully the sun comes out here in the New England area. We've been uh, immersed in clouds over the past number of days. And we'll talk to you next for episode number five of the Football Nation Today podcast next Wednesday.